Hi, I'm Gio. And I'm Renee. And this is Listen To Me Podcast, where you get all the greatest and unqualified advice from qualified creatives. Basically, we go through it so that you can turn your art zine into an accessible online publication. (laughs) 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 What did you call it the last time? Party party sound. Party Party noise. Party sound. The party sound. You'll you'll be surprised. Uh, I mean, by this point, you'll already know it, but... In the last episode, I found the sound based on looking up air horn because I didn't yes. know that's what it was called. Mm-hmm. And it is nicely sprinkled in the last episode. No. <laughs> People are going to like be ripping their headphones out. <laughs> I'm doing okay. I think I don't want to bring too much of it into it, but things have been rough. I'm just not going to lie. I like that we keep it real on this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, mental health wise. And it's just been really hard because today is the 11th and on January 6th, it was the white supremacist attack on the white house and watching that happen. And then all of the stuff we've been dealing with in Canada with the ministers who like told everyone to stay home because people were dying and you can see your like loved ones for Christmas and then went to Hawaii. I'm like smiling as I say it, but I'm so full of rage. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's been happening. And so it's been hard. It has been great. I've been reading a lot of fan fiction, which is giving me a lot of life right now. Um, And talking to my friends about it and writing it. And yeah, it's whatever you can do, guys, folks, people, humans, whatever you could do. (sighs) Yeah. To anyone who is like, I can't wait to leave 2020 behind. Like it's going to change. The first week of January was 80 years long (laughs) it's like i can't handle this speaking of 80 (laughs) let's talk about our guest yeah 80 berardini (laughs) let's just swivel away swivel away 80 is a writer a painter a self-proclaimed vintage enthusiast and she's also the founder of femme art review and the editor which is an online publication providing spaces for lgbtq and women voices that aim to reflect on art in a dynamic and engaging way i first came into contact with the femme art review i want to say a couple years ago when i think it was dana buzzy who is from out west And they had a showing at Left Contemporary, which is a gallery here in Windsor run by Luke Mattiford, who actually is coming on the podcast in like two weeks. (laughs) And it was a show called Punishment Rituals, which a friend of mine, Lucas Cabral, wrote about. And so that's the first time I came across Femme Art Review. So we'll get into all things. We'll abbreviate and call it FAR. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I like it. It's really neat. And I really am into this idea of making art, especially uh, dynamic art installations, more accessible for people who can't necessarily get out and see them, especially right now, if people are dealing with autoimmune like health risk and stuff like that, and they're really trying to be careful with COVID. So there are so many pictures and a total deconstruction of visual art and sculptural art. And then also there are book reviews, Mm -hmm. which I love. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I'm really excited to talk to Edie. There's so much content and this is, yeah. her story is very much in line with our ethos, I guess, of creating your own path and forging your own destiny. <laughs> and fostering that community, it seems. Yeah, well. that's why I wanted to bring her on and I'm excited to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm levitating. That's my contribution. It's been stuck in my head all fucking day. <laughs> I hope everyone appreciates now (laughs) we're going to go back to last week, but I hope everyone appreciates last week's, let's say, limerick dance break. I do remember the limerick. So now I'm afraid. (laughs) (laughs) The remix. It's like a throwback remix. Let's just say that. (laughs) Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. To anyone listening who uh, has any feedback on that little clip, please let me know at <laughs> Listen to he Me Pod. <laughs> desperate for the affirmation. Just give it to him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's 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 talk to Edie. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm good. I'm so excited to meet you. <laughs> yeah, you too. 
officially <laughs> i know we always chat online <laughs> isn't that always the case especially this year i feel like i've talked to so many people and i'm like oh i know them i'm like oh, actually i don't <laughs> i know i feel that too <laughs> how's your day today oh it's been good it's been a pretty productive a busy enough day how has yours been literally the same i've been going through my to-dos like Okay, one thing done, cross it off. Next thing, I'm like, I had like four calls today on top of everything. I'm like, Ooh. so this is oh. like a nice end of day. Only okay. four. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot for me. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, I feel honored. I'm a huge fan of the podcast. That's so nice. Thank you. Oh, of course. <laughs> I listen to it frequently. That's so amazing. I honestly appreciate it. And I know you're t telling the truth because you message me regularly commenting on it. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my God, this person actually is like a fan. I'm, <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> I am. I'm a fan of what you do. <laughs> and it's I'm mutual. a fan of what you do. Yeah, Aww. exactly. I'm blushing. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to get any recording done between us screaming and you blushing. It's yeah. <laughs> if you want to tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, your early life, and what you're all about, please go ahead. <laughs> For sure. Uh, so my name is Aidy Berardini. I'm an artist, writer, and editor. And I'll go kind of back to the beginning. Uh, I went to Laurie in Waterloo just out of high school to study communications. I saw that you went to University of Waterloo, Renee. I did, and I worked at Laurie and took classes there. That's so weird. Did you actually? I feel like we have a lot in common. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I actually just went there for a year. Uh, and I really okay. loved my classes and my professors, but it just wasn't really the right environment for myself, I find. I went to like a pretty artsy high school feel here in London. There was like no arts classes there and I learned a lot about other subjects, but it just wasn't really the right fit I found. So nothing against Laurier, but I was only there for a year. <laughs> uh, and actually I applied to art school at Laurier. I applied to Emily Carr uh, University of Art and Design in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And to my surprise, I got in. <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> I do that a lot. <laughs> I was really surprised, but it was a hard decision because it's in Vancouver. And I had actually never been to Vancouver. So I was like, oh, should I do this? Should I not? But I did decide to move there. And uh, it's made kind of all the difference. It was, I really loved Vancouver. I loved Emily Carr. I met a lot of like incredible people there. I studied cultural and critical practice. So it's kind of like a mix of art history and English as well as studio. And I took painting for my studio. So I lived there in Vancouver for five years, kind of living like the transient student life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> After school, like when I had graduated, I was kind of looking for opportunities, like any person who just graduates art school. <laughs> yep. And I was working at like a clothing store on Commercial Drive. But while I was working there, I decided to apply for a publishing internship. Since I had a, an interest like in publishing specifically, I applied for the internship and I was really happy about getting it. It was kind of like, that dream opportunity. I was at Greystone Books, which is a trade book publisher specializing in like health and science specifically. Uh, so I worked there for just a few months, but it was very like hands-on. I, I learned a lot doing that. I had to like apply for awards for books and like pitch books to like media outlets. So it was a lot of like hands-on like publishing experience. So it kind of like threw me into the water with that. Yeah. That's a good thing yeah. though. I think so too. I think that I learned a lot doing that opportunity. And at the time it was, I found it kind of intense, but I look back and I was like, oh yeah, I'm glad I did that. I think it gave me the confidence to like pursue it. No, it's true though. Like we talk about this so much where 99% of the things that at the time I would be like, this sucks. I hate that I'm being forced to do this. My workload is beyond comprehensible. And then, you know, years later you're like, oh, there's a reason I was thrown to the wolves to get through that. And it's like, now everything's become so much easier. And like, I can, I can understand how to like go about my life way, way better. I think we shortchange ourselves too, mm -hmm. is the other thing that we're always like, oh, I'm not ready for this, but you really, I feel like you prove to yourself then that you are. Exactly. I think that was the case for sure. And it was really cool internship. Like I, I hate to name drop, but like I casually met like David Suzuki. <laughs> <laughs> and he's an influential thinker for a reason. And it was really bizarre because it was just like for a meeting, but I was like typing as an intern, like pretending to work at this time and like just listening to David Suzuki. <laughs> it was really incredible. How did that happen? The uh, publisher actually publishes his books and like they publish books sometimes alongside 
the David Suzuki Institute. I think he, they just had a meeting maybe about a book. It was really incredible. And you just happened to be there. I just happened to be there. It was an open concept office. It's <laughs> amazing. See, there are benefits yeah. to the open concept offices. I, I'm not. Yeah. Fan, but I hate them. I hate in them. In that way, amazing. <laughs> As an intern, I was also the secretary. <laughs> <laughs> the dog walker. Coffee the fetcher. coffee maker. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. The alcohol fetcher. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's a real thing. Like we, at my at the agency I worked at, we used to every Friday at three was like the bar cart, and they would because we had a bunch of alcohol clients, and so we had so much product, and so everybody would just drink regularly. It was like a thing. I was like, okay, that is wild. <laughs> oh yeah, they kept hard liquor in the fridge. <laughs> this has never been an experience that. for me, and I work in Alberta, which is like the alcoholism capital of Canada. Like, and I've never seen, but oh. I've never seen booze at work. Oh yeah, that's totally fine. <laughs> so after the internship, I, I moved back to London since I actually got a job in the aid sector locally here at Regional HIV AIDS Connection. And I worked as a regional and digital engagement coordinator doing like the website and social media as well as like the regional meetings. And it was also an intense job, but it kind of gave me a great experience with like digital skills. Actually, he also did a lot of like photography for the agency. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it was really incredible. I, I really liked that aspect since it was pretty creative. While working there, I actually started Femme Art Review, which is a publication for LGBTQ and women writers. And I just kind of started as a side project. I've done it for, I guess, two years, <laughs> two and a half years almost. Congrats. So, That's incredible. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I can't even believe it either. <laughs> So yeah, that kind of takes me up until now. And I just finished my master's in art history. Congratulations. So. That's amazing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that's huge. Like finishing up a master's degree is one thing, but like in the pandemic as well. So like that's kudos. while running fem art review simultaneously. <laughs> it was intense. Yes. So Adi, can I ask you a question? Did you have a specific vision in mind of the contributors that you wanted to see for Femme Art Review when you started it? Like, or did you, were you kind of in part of a group of like-minded people and you thought it would be great if I could kind of showcase my, my friends and my peers' art in this way? When I started Femme Art Review, it's kind of interesting. I just started it from a personal blog that had like a completely different name that was, of course, just me kind of blogging <laughs> and then I was like oh like it would be interesting to like bring more voices into this and since I always wanted to start a publication I just kind of like completely rebranded it changed the donate domain at first I didn't have like a specific I had a vision for what the publication would be but not so much for contributors I was like oh yeah it's really anyone who's interested and in, who's in the community doing work who'd be interested in contributing I was really fortunate to get like a lot of incredible writers just kind of following along and pitching and contributing their amazing work yeah, it's been a delightful surprise. <laughs> there have been so many crossovers. I was telling Renee earlier, people that we've come into contact with, either through me and just being in Windsor or the art community here, the queer art community in Ontario alone. For example, Andre Garzon, who we've had on the podcast, who I didn't even know that you guys were friends. And Oh, I, yes, we're good friends. <laughs> and, and I also just realized that he is one of the designers of the publication. Which yes, I, he did I a great the, job. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Also, Adrian Crossman, who I went to school with at OCAD. For, oh, was, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a small world. Yeah. And then also, who else? Lucas Cabral, who's written reviews for, I think, so he did a review on Dana Buzzy? Is that yeah, I was really excited for that review. The first time I ever heard of Femme Art Review was when he told me that he was approached to write for you. And then I went to the show with him to go see it. Punishment Rituals, I think it was called. Yeah, oh, good memory. <laughs> yeah, which was at Left Contemporary, who is run by Luke Matterford, who is a friend of mine who we are actually <laughs> having on the podcast in like two weeks. So, <laughs> oh, it's so, so like, I feel like the community is so interconnected, even though. We're like in different places. I love like, it. Yeah. It's amazing. I like how 80 was like, I don't want to name drop, but David Suzuki and Gio's like, let me tell you a list of people that we know, <laughs> both of us mutually. No, but this I like, love it. But this is the thing I'm saying is that like through all the connections that I know, like this is how we all, this is how you create community is that yeah. this person knows this person. And then it's like, oh, hey, I've come across the editor of this 
LGBTQ plus focused publication. Let's have her on the podcast. And like, so you know what I mean? So that's the reason I bring this up is that to anyone listening who is like looking for, you know, they're like, I, I can't find community. It's like, it's there. You just have to connect the dots, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. about your art because you touched on it a little bit in your introduction but you didn't go you didn't dive into it and I want you to take us in there so you work in many different mediums so can you tell us a little bit about the mediums that you work in as an artist and then also kind of whether there are any commonalities in your work through them or like if each medium you use to express different facets of your art so primarily in art school I was a painter like as my studio I was doing uh, really kind of colorful paintings and kind of moving that into installation in, in an exciting way at the time. Since graduating, it, it was kind of hard, like with materials wise and space wise as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so I got more into illustration actually uh, after I graduated, just kind of for fun, like doing pattern design as well as some actual like illustrations, times for publications. And I don't know, I feel like art school is so interesting because it, it puts that divide between like illustration and painting, like oh, one's yeah. more commercial like than the other. I really internalized that in a way. But um, I think it's been really helpful, like doing illustration just to kind of hone in some skills as well as just express yourself in a tangible way, like with your, your lifestyle. And I, I really like this question, too, because in art school, since I did kind of critical studies, I had like a writing practice and a painting practice. And it was yeah. kind of hard for me to connect them at the time. Critical writing for me was different than my art practice. Yeah. But I definitely found that like pursuing both of them after school, like I'm able to connect them better, which I find pretty interesting because even through crit critical writing, like you can take like a more poetic approach. Some of my mm -hmm. writing, I've talked about color, like focusing on certain color, like in relation to like an artist's work. So I find that they do connect better for me now. <laughs> and I feel like it kind of takes like doing your own little thing to kind of hone that in. Definitely. It's like life experience. When I went to art school, like design school, they tell you like you want to create your own, your style, your, your, however you want to express your message. But at 19 to the age of 22, whatever you graduate, I barely even understood who I was as a person. How can you at 30, you're like, okay, I have a better sense of who I am. Therefore I'm able to express that better. Exactly. I think that's a huge part of it too. Mm -hmm. And I find like in my mind, I was like, oh, like I have to like pick one or the other, but I'm like, no, you don't have to mm. think like that. Like you can definitely do like focus on one at a time, like if you'd like, or do both of them. And I think there's a long like line of like painters who are also like poets or painters who are also writers. Mm -hmm. Oh, 100%. Um, for sure. So uh, I think that has been uh, thinking of that as like, oh yeah, like you can do both. You don't have to pick one or the other. Do many things. Yeah. exactly do all the things <laughs> yeah. yeah totally that was such a thing for me as a writer to like not taking not seeing the value in poetry because I really wanted to write prose and I really wanted to focus on writing prose and poetry is one of like I think the most essential things as a writer that you can learn because it's so evocative and it can be so freeform and then you don't get caught up in the strictures of writing and especially I mean like essays and critical writing are one thing even but even to write straightforward narrative prose like I have read stuff that is narrative prose but it's like poems kind of masquerading as narrative prose and that's the stuff that kind of sticks in my head like that's the stuff that really touches me at my core and I go oh man I want to learn how to write like that you know what I mean but when you're a kid and you're just starting out you're kind of looking to instructors to really guide you and tell you this is how this is and this is how this is and I think it's really easy to get to like put the blinders on and be like okay I have to like master this one thing and I can't look at anything else because it's gonna trip me up so you touched on this a little bit I want to know as an artist as a visual artist and as somebody who is now in publishing when did those two worlds meld together I think I actually always had like an interest in publishing, even more so like as them being like a capital A artist, <laughs> uh, I guess. Growing up, I was actually really interested in collaging. You love collage too. <laughs> a fellow collage queen. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> collage is very influential to my art practice too, I find. 
I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So growing up, like as a teenager, I was always like in my bedroom collaging. And I feel like when I was doing that, I was really going through these publications and being like, oh, yeah, I think like I subconsciously like took in the editorial a bit. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, so I like noticed like when like Teen Vogue took out their home section at the back and I was like yeah. oh yeah I guess oh, I just man. noticed that like that kind of pastime really got me into like into publishing like as an interest and so since I was a kid really I was really kind of interested in working and publishing and it's kind of interesting other people I've talked to who do like publication design and things like that have actually said like they have a similar story <laughs> I also became like interested in print media like in art school because I feel like they had such amazing like classes like art and text and I took this class called the democratic multiple which is really cool we had to make like 25 uh, multiples two times and it could be like a zine but it could be uh, any multiple really so it was really interesting doing that and we made like a class book as well so it kind of gave me tangible experience like in publishing and I also did the uh, publication at Emily Carr called Woo it's named after Emily Carr's monkey. <laughs> it's like a fun name, like Woo. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. Yeah, but that was, I think, like actually one of the most like important experiences because it gave me like tangible experience doing like a budget. I did two print issues and kind of led a design and media and editorial team. Uh, so I think that uh, was also like very influential with bringing me on that path. That makes so much sense to me because I feel like that's another thing that Gio and I have heard so many times and the people we've talked to is that it's stuff that we love that we want to make mm -hmm. more of and we want to see more of. So you being somebody who loved publications and was looking at them so intently that you noticed when Vogue, <laughs> Teen Vogue took out a whole section, like that to me makes sense that you would then be somebody who to make a publication. And I just kind of wanted, we're going to like segue into talking about FemArt Review here now. So I wanted to ask you specifically when you were thinking about making FemArt Review accessible what did you mean by that and why was that so important to you i think that when i first started femme review i really wanted to kind of make an avenue for art writing that was accessible in the sense that hopefully it's things that you can read without like a phd in art history yeah <laughs> so that's why i kind of mean by accessible and i know that accessibility is really different depending on the person as well so it's something i always kind of keep in mind while editing we have a lot of interviews as well, like interviews with artists that I hope that are engaging, engaging for like any reader who just has an interest in art. I was really prioritizing that like when I was thinking of accessibility, uh, since it's mainly digital, I hope that it is pretty accessible through that means. Yeah, it's digital and it's free. Like you can just go on there and read stuff. There are no paywalls. Exactly. <laughs> I mean that as well. <laughs> Now that you have Femme Art Review that's digital and published, how often are you publishing? Oh, we typically publish between three to four times a month. It uh, depends on the oh, wow. month, too. Sometimes it can be more or less, but it's and pretty consistently at least three times a month. That's not including the print. Oh, no, we just have like kind of one print issue right now. So Okay, yeah, because yeah. I, I was like three to four times a month. That's insane. I'm like, no. how are you doing this? <laughs> oh, no, the articles. <laughs> No, so, that would be insane if it was you imagine, like you have way too much on your plate <laughs> oh yeah so by creating both platforms that kind of go together your whole goal is to connect like a larger community can you describe what that journey has been like from your early days of blogging to what it's become today like how has that evolved oh it's evolved a big time i think <laughs> it felt like when i was blogging i was writing about art but also like other things like being an introvert and just like random things that like only like 60 people read or something like 60 and, and, people amazing how do you get that in its reading? entirety <laughs> i think over a span of like a year or two <laughs> so i think that it's really changed and it's kind of in its direction and and how i i work as well since it's very collaborative mm -hmm. And I think that it's also really been a journey starting from our review as well. When I first started, I was just looking for continuing to be connected with art and connected with, with that community. Because uh, at the time I was doing a job like that was unrelated. And I think I really missed my community, especially back in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's been really amazing that it's been a collaborative experience since I can stay connected with like artists and writers in Vancouver as well. And uh, and Toronto and elsewhere and we're technically international so like Amazing. it's Sri Lanka too <laughs> like places awesome. um just really random places uh 
yeah, it's been really interesting to kind of pursue that and see where it where it's led really. Have you had any highlights that you can say in the last like let's say the last year? The biggest thing, uh, we launched our, our print issue in February 2020, right before the pandemic, sadly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but I think that was a huge highlight because uh, we were able to do like a couple artist talks. Cozy Nebe did one in Toronto at Art Metropole. And that was a huge highlight. Uh, it was an amazing artist talk. And it was really awesome to do programming like that coincides along with the exhibition. Carolyn Rubin mm-hmm. did a great art- artist talk here at Western in, in London as well. Uh, so it was really amazing to do this programming that went alongside the almost an exhibition <laughs> publication. And I think that was a really awesome way to kind of bring it to life and bring the community together physically at kind of the last time we could before the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. But I think that was a major highlight because um, I actually never really thought that we'd be able to have the resources to do a print publication. Uh, so it was uh, really awesome to get a local grant and to collaborate with designers and writers uh, to be able to do that. That's one of the things that I love about smaller communities is that people come together when they believe in the end goal of this. I'll say product just because, you know, a marketing, whatever, <laughs> yeah. but like this product, this platform and having all these different voices come together where there's the originator. So it would be you who are like, OK, I, I built this thing but it's evolving due to the fact that there are so many members of the artist community, queer community that are coming together to voice their own experiences in this like big growth of (laughs) femme art review, you know? (laughs) I think it's really magical. I love that. It's really at the heart of what it is. It is collaboration. I'm glad that you think that. (laughs) It's like, I think it, but it's it's fact. It's not like I'm making this up. Yeah. (laughs) To do like a print publication in such mm-hmm. a short period of time, like you have to have all of your ducks in a row. And like Gio mm-hmm. says, you have to have the, the community support. You have to have the interest and the engagement and to do programming alongside publication yeah. with your artists. Like that's huge. Mm-hmm. This is the, the blowing the smoke up your ass part of the podcast. Yeah. We got to it late, but we got there. <laughs> I'm so flattered. Thank you. <laughs> So now that you've arrived to where you are today with Femme Art Review, how do you see it evolving moving forward? I hope that it can evolve to be a regular thing. <laughs> Even just some um, stability is tough since I have kind of like self-financed, <laughs> at least up until now. Uh, so I, I really hope that it can just continue on. I would love to kind of do another print publication in 2021. I'm actually kind of planning out uh, what that would look like. So if we can secure enough funds I'm hoping that will be a thing (laughs) Uh, so yeah I guess just kind of continuing what we're doing I hope that can last at least a little longer how is it being funded right now oh I just like pay people out of my salary you need like a GoFundMe or something or some sort of like crowdfunding (laughs) where we can like set something up to to... like a kickstarter yeah yeah print issues Mm-hmm. Like you could easily do that given the fact that like all that content is there already. There are like small press publishers and stuff who I'm sure you could work with and stuff like that. That's <laughs> what I'm looking into. this right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'll take all the advice I can get. <laughs> but we did actually do like a GoFundMe for the print publication, which we didn't meet our goal, but anything really helped. So it was, yeah. I think it went well. What I'm really thinking now is like, I need to just kind of focus on like securing enough funds to kind of keep it going. Yeah. And like grant funding is so clutch, but it's so difficult to get. Like it's, I read that Grimes got a Canadian arts grant. She, Why? I saw I, that. I was so angry. It made me so mad because she's technically Canadian and she, her agency applied for it for her and she got it. She's like rich. I know girl. I agree. <laughs> and I, I applied for a grant, hopefully, uh, for like the next publication. But they're so hard to navigate in terms of like, eligibility, too, because yeah. a lot of publications are like nonprofits. And we're just kind of grassroots, at least for now. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, yeah, it's kind of hard to navigate. Like, it's not always like uh, grassroots friendly, these brands. So. teacher was when I went to OCAD this queer as fuck homosexual and it, <laughs> nice. was, it was so good I <laughs> I really loved it like of all the because like I had mostly design design theory mm-hmm. editorial like we're doing typography you know the typical graphic design program 
And to have like that one, I remember that one semester in particular, it was Friday mornings and it was my only class. Like I genuinely enjoyed going because it was a lot of queer as fuck students. It was, and it was just like, it was my first, because I already lived like a very queer life, but to come at it from a different perspective, that was more, how did we get here? Where do we need to go? Understanding our history. Exactly. And it, it was, it was so much fun. I loved it. I never did that. It feels so weird to admit that, but I never took any courses on feminism or queer theory or anything like that when I was in school in university, which is so weird. So I'm like an autodidact. I'm like, I want to know about queer <laughs> history. I'll teach myself. I think it was, it was like a normal thing though. Yeah. It's like built into the programs where I even, I took a course on Afrocentric art and the mm-hmm. diaspora and how art has gone across the world through the diaspora. It was yeah. really interesting. I will say that going through classics, like my classics education is very much like Western world, like white European Mm -hmm. culture focus. So it wasn't like, it didn't dovetail in that way. So like any exposure that I got, like to any culture beyond like Western North American was through my anthropology classes. And even that is through a lens of like, white scholars coming in with their racist baggage like projecting it onto people like so there's a lot of critical thinking that I missed out on and had to kind of cobble together after I left <laughs> like mm-hmm. oh yeah I, I feel that too studying our history like I went into it kind of after doing film review so I took like a really like feminist and queer approach to it but yeah. I, had I not done that like it is so like white and male <laughs> yes yeah it's and awful. if there is queerness it's like they were best friends they were just, exactly they yeah. were gal pals <laughs> friends to the end <laughs> they're roommates. they were roommates but there was only one bed <laughs> oh a studio apartment <laughs> <laughs> so let's jump back into it because i think this dovetails into our next question 80 so how do you think especially now because everything is transitioning to digital. I was listening to this episode of Drag Her podcast because Gio and I were talking about Drag Race earlier and it was so interesting to me. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever watched Drag Race or listened to the show? Oh, I've watched it all the time like with my girlfriend. (laughs) We watch it like religiously. So Drag Race is awesome and they had, so Mono Gapian and Nicole Byer are the hosts of Drag Her and they had Monique Hart on the podcast and Monique was dropping pearls of wisdom everywhere and it was so interesting listening to her perspective about how drag has shifted digitally now and she was like you know one of the first things I would do as like a new queen coming on the show is to watch myself back and write down any catchphrases that I thought were marketable so what we kind of want to ask you about is based on your experience with Femme Art Review how do you think creatives can use their art and platform to kind of not only garner greater visibility for themselves and creating community and those connections but also push sort of social narratives forward and push queer visibility push the feminist agenda that gay agenda that we all carry around in our satchels you know Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I would say the first thing I would kind of consider is why you want to create this community. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a huge first step just to kind of one, keep yourself going and motivated, and two, just, just to kind of have passion, like stay dedicated to like regularly communicating. I think that's a huge thing. Like uh, you can say all you want, like once, but if you don't kind of keep at it then people might lose interest and yeah mm-hmm. I like the social narrative question because I think a lot of people are like oh like online things aren't activism it's a separate thing but I think that publishing and these ideas they have a lot of influence like just having people like caring about these certain issues is super important and that then gives motivation to take action an example was on intersex awareness day we mm-hmm. shared like a piece of art that was like it was a rug tufted work that said end intersex surgery and we shared that just to get awareness out and I think that's a huge thing being mindful like in London the amazing work that like intersex activists are doing mm-hmm. just kind of tying art to that like get the message across I think that maybe people wouldn't have known it was intersex awareness day that day like mm-hmm. so yeah. I think that's important to support these uh, things that are happening and through art what's it's like a great way <laughs> it's very engaging and I really do think it it does have influence. At least I hope so. <laughs> I think so for sure. Like mm-hmm. I read your interview with Riley Knowles 
um, around uh, his work with folklore and fashion, which I thought was so interesting. And one of the comments that he made in the interview that you had with him was that he hadn't really seen much trans representation growing up in Ontario, because I think he was also from London as well, right? That's a huge part too, because uh, a lot of times these identities, especially transness, it's so invisibilized. And he was yeah. uh, talking about that as well. Like, So even just having that representation of like a trans artist is doing their work. This is mm -hmm. what they're doing. Like, I think that's incredibly important just to see that representation as an artist. And like with back to the intersex awareness piece, like as somebody who, I mean, like anybody, right? We're, we're raised in this hetero binary paradigm where it's like, you're either this or that. And that's the only thing. And then those of us who don't fit in those binaries or don't see ourselves reflected in it just feel really displaced. For a long time, I had no idea that people who were intersex were being surgically gendered, essentially. Like that, I didn't even know that that was a thing. So bringing more awareness to that, I think is huge. And it also empowers people to speak out. And I know I was making some in poor taste jokes about white supremacy earlier, but that's what's so terrifying about it, right? Is that we see a spike in white supremacy because it emboldens people because they see that that behavior is accepted. And we want the opposite of that. Like we are trying to create community spaces and we are trying to create that feeling of acceptance and belonging and embolden people to be themselves not in an oppressive way, but in the sense of embracing what makes us unique and lifting each other up in that sense. Yes, I love that. I totally agree. <laughs> oh, where's yes, clapping. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I want to put like a like behind you behind your voice i love it speak with passion yes and i think that's huge especially these days like we're just not going to stand for it like i think it's huge just to be like we're here this is our valid experience like giving like light to that is so important and i think fem art review definitely pushes that narrative forward in that way especially in terms of your inclusion and making sure that there's a diversity, it's not just like white straight men who are yeah. featuring clearly. There's sure. so many types of artists. I, like I've seen so many different voices through Femme Art Review. And to me that, you know how there's publications who are like, oh, we're a queer publication, but it's like very like Hollywood. I don't want to trash talk, but like magazine. Sanitized like, kind of. Yeah, It's like, oh my God. It's like, it's, I <laughs> I'm sorry. I saw this Tumblr post that made me laugh so hard. And it was like, there are queer stereotypes for straight people and there are queer stereotypes for gay people. Yeah. <laughs> and they are very so different. True. Very different. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, that's real. I've never even thought of that. And it's, it's hard because a lot of times it's so corporatized. It's like, oh, yes, Ugh. like here's our ad, like after the first sentence. <laughs> so I, I find that's difficult to like, it's nice to have something that isn't tied to any kind of corporate interests and can just mm. be independent. I think that's really important too. I just had a call today with, I don't know if you heard our interview with Patrick Hunter. Uh, he's an Indigenous artist in Toronto. And we talked on the phone today about a potential collaboration that we're going to do. And we want to get some sort of charitable initiative involved. You know, immediately it was like, how do we do this where we can actually go directly to the community and not have it be something that's like, not co-opted, but I don't want it to be something where it's like, oh, it's it's this like flashy thing. I want, like, I, I, I don't know. I, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, I, Yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying because this reminds me, this has nothing to do with what you're talking about. And I'm super excited for a you and Patrick collab, but it reminds <laughs> me of talking about She-Ra, like the animated series. Yes. Mm -hmm. So when that was pitched, they, so, oh my God, I can't, it's Noelle Steveson, I believe. Mm -hmm. She pitched the show as it's a She-Ra reboot. It's going to be full of action, fantasy, blah, 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 whatever. But she had to like sneak the lesbian, like the Catra Adora. Sorry guys, spoilers. If you haven't seen it, just watch <laughs> it. It's worth it. Anyway. <laughs> she had to slip that under the radar. Like she could not go and say out and out like okay we're gonna have like a wlw romance between our leads like our protagonist and our anti like we we're not doing that like she had to completely like pretend that it was just focused on the action and then the way that she structured it basically like wrote them into a corner 
where it would have compromised like the entire show if they had tried to like walk it back. She was like, no, it's too late. They're already in love. And I'm like, less of that and more of put it on the table up front. And I do think that the more publications we get that are centered around LGBTQ and BIPOC voices, the more visibility and the more acceptance there is. And we are forcing these corporations to bargain on our terms. But that's the thing about something like FemArt Review, where you have that liberty because there are no, there's no corporate influence where they, you can create a product. And then as soon as there's like a sponsor that's involved that can say what they want to say because they're footing the bill, then it completely changes because they're like, well, we don't want that. We were going to remove this. And then, and then it becomes exactly what we talked about this, like whitewashed corporate generic content. And you're like, what, this isn't, that's not what we want to do. So being smaller is beneficial at times, even though we don't have the money that these large businesses do. I love this question. (laughs) (laughs) It was like special. It's my favorite. (laughs) So if you were to look back at the trajectory of your career and you could give it an overarching theme, what would it be? My answer is kind of sad. <laughs> I said unpredictable. <laughs> How is that sad? <laughs> That's so fitting. Yeah. Please it's explain. True. I think that I said unpredictable because I think the same time when things work out, the paths we go down, like you don't really necessarily think they'll bring you where they do. Mm-hmm. Like I think that if I had started Fem Art Review after like doing some like curatorial curatorial position like out, out of art school. I think that it'd look really different than like if I like if I hadn't worked like in the aid sector because yeah. uh, I think I had such a mind for like kind of social justice and like health and wellness as well ultimately influenced me but at the time like it kind of brings you on that unpredictable road <laughs> and it's tough as artists and creators to you know it can be really precarious that's exciting though that's the thing I like about <laughs> I'm not really a planner you know a lot of people say oh if you're in business you need to be planning you know you're one year five years seven whatever the you know all that that whole thing to me I have a, a general idea of where I want to go but I'm like let's just see what happens and then you're open to the possibility of going in a direction that you didn't necessarily expect and then it actually is beneficial to you versus like I need to stick to my plan (laughs) exactly (laughs) I also do not have a plan (laughs) but I mean that's almost the theme of 2020 2021 is unpredictable like we had no idea this was going to happen and so we're all kind of figuring it out as we go in this new normal and so and that's I mean it extends into everything right now everybody anyone listening to this can relate to the unpredictability (laughs) exactly (laughs) I think it just fits with like so many people that we've interviewed on the podcast who have said they didn't really have a clear picture like as they were going along but then looking back they're like oh Mm -hmm. right like I was where I needed to be at that time and things were falling into place before I even knew it. So to me, that's what I get this sense of like AD talking to you is that like, you're exactly where you need to be. And like, maybe in like a couple of years or whatever, you're going to look back and you're going to be like, yeah, this was all part of it. Like, yeah, maybe it was all over the place, but you're going to look back and there's going to be a pattern. It's going to be like one of those magic eye optical (laughs) illusions it's just gonna like resolve itself (laughs) exactly i I think that's a huge part of it (laughs) where can people find you online if they want to connect with you well yeah uh, you can find me on my personal instagram just it's ad berardini it's hard to spell so i guess it's just like adi and then b-e-r-a-r-d-i-n-i where's my phone i'm gonna follow you right now Oh, I will follow you back. Thank you. <laughs> uh, it's not too exciting, but thank you. <laughs> and uh, there's also Fem Art Review, uh, which is Fem Art Review, Fem as in Fem. <laughs> uh, so yeah, definitely follow us there and uh, keep up to date with the different artists we feature and uh, with all the different reviews. Do you have anything coming up in the near future mm-hmm. that you can plug? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, we do have, I'm doing an interview with the artist Christina Nicola. Uh, it's actually on Thursday, uh, January, I almost said February, January uh, 14th 
and we'll be talking uh, just about her work. Her work is really amazing. It's uh, painted on paper, but it's a figuration and she really speaks to sexuality and black liberation. Uh, so yeah, definitely. Amazing. I'm really excited for that uh, interview. So definitely tune in. She's going to give a little studio tour. So can yeah. people tune into this retroactively because this uh, is going to come out um, like a month later? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. for sure. I'll put it on our Facebook page. Like Perfect. Me. No, but seriously, thank you so much for coming. This was such a wonderful experience. Yeah, it was amazing for me as well. I, I was glad just to speak more and learn more about you as well. And it is a small world in the queer community. Right? I, you live long enough and, and <laughs> you put you put yourself out enough. Oh, no, honestly, like that's mm. to me, this is so in line with how I operate anyway. Going back to what you talked about, your early days of learning and picking up different things and you're like oh this actually makes sense for what I'm doing today like I look back at in my thesis year at OCAD and my thesis project was a queer publication like I loved editorial as well and so my whole thesis was around creating this publication that was queer focused for queers by queers and the process was talking to writers and and photographers and illustrators and artists and to collect all of these stories basically to put into this one bubble of this idea. But like now with the podcast, it's basically transferred to that where it's like, I'm reaching out to all these different people to be like, how do we make this, this thing happen, you know, and, and you're doing exactly the same. And it's, it's like, we're, we're in parallel. We're, we're in parallel. I don't know. What's this? I don't remember. You're driving down out. the highway and you're both in parallel lanes. So you're yes. exactly <laughs> yes. with our windows down, singing across the lane to each other. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> hey. <you. Yeah>. Hey. <laughs> oh, I love this. They put a great image in my mind. <laughs> um, I was going to say too, that I noticed that you guys did book reviews for trans awareness week as well. And one of the books was uh, Fierce Femmes and Notorious Liars by Kai Ching Tom, which was one of my like favorite books that I read last year. And I was like, I should ask Adi if she would be interested in me reviewing queer queer books. Cause that was my goal for this oh, year was to I love that. queer books. Um, yes. So I'm really, I would be really into that. And also you wouldn't have to pay me cause I'd be writing it anyway on my Goodreads, so. Oh, <laughs> no, no. I would like to compensate you with something. I can only pay so much to you. So I noticed too, typically we do like art reviews, but especially with the pandemic, like one of uh, our contributing editors, Harper, he was saying like, oh yeah, can I like do a, like a film review on like something mm. that came out like just a couple of years ago even? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, I think that right now we're watching Netflix and reading books. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, I think there seemed like an interest uh behind that for sure so definitely if it's of interest let me know yeah i will for sure this is so exciting <laughs> yeah, i would love that for sure <laughs> i was thinking i was thinking because i went and read it and i was like oh yeah i'm like this is on my list i'm gonna read it anyway so might as well <laughs> <laughs> amazing well i look forward to seeing uh, some collaborations in the future i would love that yes mm -hmm. Oh, thank bye. you again. I appreciate it. Are you kidding? <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Oh my gosh, she's such a gem. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> I love it. We had no idea because like neither of us have really met her. There's always that thing of like, I hope it goes well because there's no, we didn't like establish any kind of dynamic and so when they come on and it's like <laughs> wonderful yeah. that makes me so happy we are professionals in that we do not do any pre-screening interviews we just cold email people on the internet no i'm just kidding i will i i will say though i have done it with a couple people already in the past where i've done like one-on-one -on -one where i will do like an instagram like hey let's video chat for like 20 minutes just to like talk oh yeah 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 yep because sometimes and I, because I say, I'm like, if you're not comfortable, like, let me do that. And then it always usually works out. So. Yeah. Cause it is it, like online, the way that people represent themselves, not in a negative way, but it's just very disconnected from reality. It's so different than meeting somebody at a party. Yeah. And especially mm -hmm. when people know that they're being recorded and that this is going to be going out to the public. And yeah. so of course people can be like, but this was not the case <laughs> yeah. yeah for sure no 80 is a light she was mm. delightful i'm excited to see where 2021 is going to go with i mean we have some great guests lined up um 
I'm just pumped to see where this podcast evolves to. Just in the same way that we talked about Femme Art Femme Review Art going from a yeah from a blog to what it is today. I'm like, well, and for this to only be two years worth of work is incredible because if you go into the back catalog of what is on Femme Art Review, and the fact that it's totally free and it is accessible, like I was saying at the top of the episode, and you can see images from these installations. Obviously, it's not the same as going in person, but my God, if you're missing the art show experience Mm -hmm. when you're in quarantine go on femme art review yeah and also my god we got to get 80 to set up like a kofi or some shit (laughs) so that people can like tip you know what i mean because there's just so much free content it's incredible Mm -hmm. speaking of not so free content (laughs) (laughs) thanks for listening to me and to me and if you have any burning questions or any ideas for an art installation that can be done online or on OnlyFans, please email I... us. At... <laughs> I was like, where's the sex swing joke? Am I making it or is he? Please email us at listen to me podcast at gmail.com or you can DM us on the social media. Yeah, we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as at listen to me pod and we are on all major podcasting platforms so you can rate us you can subscribe you can follow i'm pretty sure we can only be rated on apple podcast Mm -hmm. it is a thing yeah only god can judge me and only people with apple podcasts can rate our show (laughs) we've had some really good reviews honestly the i don't see them because i don't have itunes one episode we're gonna do we're gonna read a couple we do love making this podcast to check out our Patreon. Yes. Little... Oh, no, I'm cutting you off because this is a script and you read it <laughs> last time. So it's fine. <laughs> I was going to say that we are recording our much vaunted episode where Geo, I take Geo through the pleasure and the pain of Venom, the 2018 film starring Tom Hardy. And I'm very <laughs> excited for him to watch it. And then for us to explore what it means to be a monster fucker in 2021 mm. <laughs> anno domini I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah we got some blog posts up there we've got another one queued for february bonus uh, which, episodes yeah and bonus episodes so there's a whole bunch of goodies over there and also what's nice about it is that patreon has a feature where you can chat with the creator so if you sign up for our patreon and you have any content in mind that you'd like to see from us uh, I know people have been bugging Geo for t-shirt designs and I'm not promising that, but I'm just saying, if you have any ideas, you can message us. Yes, please do. And the music in this episode is graciously provided by audionautics.com. Bye. Bye.